0: Let us prepare now to hear God's word. If you do have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We are in our third part of this series that is warnings from the wilderness. Here in this section of scripture, Paul is indicating to the church at Corinth some very important warnings of what God did to the children of Israel in the days of their wilderness wanderings. I'm going to begin reading in verse 6, and I'm going to read down through verse 11, then we'll pray and consider from verse 9 onwards today. Listen as I read God's Word. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil As they did do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Let us pray. Lord, as always, whenever we open your word, we do so with the clear sense that this is the very word of God That the things that you revealed to us in it are those things which have authority for our life. Those things that bring correction and instruction. Those things that can be believed and, and held as true and sure. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word. And in this section, Lord, you've given us to reflect upon the children of Israel. And their sin and their sinful desires and your dealings with them. God, I pray that as you have purposed this to be an example for us, even the the church at Corinth as well, on whom the end of the ages have fallen. Lord, may your word and your warnings have their full effect. And Lord, may you teach us and wean us from worldly hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, to to kind of set the stage and, and take us to where we'll take it up today, just want to remind us in chapter 10, verse 6, as well as in verse 11, it tells us these things happened or these things took place as an example for us. So these events and these sins and these compromises that were recorded, And God's dealings with the children of Israel and consequences and punishment. They not only dealt with them in that time and accomplished a historic purpose in the lives of Israel. Even manifesting his power to them and to the surrounding nations. But more than that historic reality, God was also working in those events particular things in precise detail that would be an example for us. These things happened to them as an example for us on whom the end of the ages have fallen. It's not random. We see God's precise and supreme sovereign control over each one of these elements. Also, we remem- I want us to remember that in here it tells us this. In verse 6, it took place as examples that we might not desire evil as they did. Now, it's going to go on, too, and take us to a lot of um, passages in the Old Testament where they did evil. But this scripture here reminds us it's not simply telling us not to do evil as they did evil, but not to desire evil as they desired it. Because desire often comes before the doing. And if we think we can intervene between doing and uh, desire and doing, we've done well. And we may have done better than some, but the scriptures are wanting us by the grace of God to go deeper than just stopping and controlling and, and, and altering and influencing what we do. The Word of God, by the Spirit of God, is able to work in a way that is able to transform not only our deeds, but also our desires. Isn't that good? And we, rem- we rem- remember, as we looked at Jesus and as he gave those examples, that someone has committed adultery not simply by doing that, but when someone has looked with lustful intent, he has already committed adultery in his heart. And so the, these examples are given not to just make you, cause you, or force you to behave morally. No, these examples are given so we might, by his grace, learn to not desire evil as they did. So it comes down to the very wants and desires of our heart that this passage of Scripture is seeking to cultivate. If we see it merely as a restraint on behavior and actions, we're missing the depth of this passage, because it really is pressing in to our very delights and desires. Now today, we're, we're on, over on to, really verse nine and 10. Let me read those. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. And we looked to some extent at that last week as they grumbled. Verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. And so we looked uh, in Numbers chapter 21 last week of the serpents and the grumbling that constantly was taking place among the children of Israel we began to just look at the astounding ways where God so powerfully dealt with them delivering them from their slavery in in remarkable demonstrable astounding awe-inspiring ways I mean the the plagues that were poured out upon Egypt was such a visible, powerful, profound manifestation Of the divine hand the world had not really seen or known anything like that before now well, Wasn't there the flood before? Yes, but I tell you this most of the world just died in the flood They didn't observe it and then and then be able to stand back in awe of it They just were into panic and fear and soon drowning This was a manifestation where God came into one of the most powerful nations and began to show himself mighty, step by step, his sovereignty over creation, controlling animals, controlling what they considered the source of their life, the Nile, controlling light and dark, showing his ability to. So make distinction among people and cause certain of these plagues to fall only and exclusively on the Egyptians And not at all on the children of Israel causing darkness on all of Egypt But not the land of Goshen and doing things that uh, that are just remarkable Separating the sea that they could pass through on dry ground and we remember those things and then we began to look last week how three days afterwards Three days later, they began to complain. Having seen that power of God, as suddenly they needed water, they complained, we don't have water. And we saw in the mercies of God, and and I, I would say tremendous mercies of God, he gave them water because I look at that and I think after they've seen the hand of God and they've seen His power and they've seen all that He's done they've experienced His deliverance when it comes time that you need water what might you do? Oh God, we have need of water we don't know where it will come from or how you will bring it but you know that we have need and we know that there is nothing that you cannot do. that would have been wonderful. But is that what the children of Israel generally do? No, they don't. They complain, And, and, and what I find astounding is that in their complaints, initially, they complain, we don't have this, and God gives them that. Well, now we're out of food a month and a half later, and God gives them food. Just think, that is really, really kind of God. In that as the children of Israel are coming into this stages where they're so quickly and so inappropriately grumbling and complaining about their circumstances and about what they don't have and about what they want. As they do that, initially at least, God is giving them what they want. We also began to see that in their compromises though, when they began to compromise with, with the uh, people under the influence of, of Balaam of, uh, of Peor, they, and they compromised with that sinfulness, God caused many of them to die. The same thing as they, as they grumbled and complained, the serpents came out and God caused many of them. There were, there were consequences. Sometimes we take very lightly the mercies of God because we don't face those same consequences. I often remember this on the Sundays that we take the Lord's Supper, Because when we read that section in 1 Corinthians 11 and it says some of them were taking Without rightly discerning the body and many of them were becoming ill And some were falling asleep Which is different than the normal falling asleep in church mind you The falling asleep in that passage meant they're dying And yet in our own experience those who take the Lord's Supper inappropriately without a due reflection and, and a right meditation and, and, a, and a real uh, focus on, on Christ and a real commitment to, uh, to walk after him and to turn from their sin. We don't see many people getting sick and we don't see many people dying as a result of that. And so sometimes what can happen is we presume upon the kindness and we presume upon the mercies of God. And though I want us to always glory in the kindness and mercies of God. This particular passage is designed to remind us that sometimes when, it, when there is compromise and there is corruption, there are consequences. We spoke earlier about the consequences in this chapter of the one who was involved in an immoral relationship. He, he, he was to be handed over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Here, I want us to now go back and see also a little bit of God's working in the warnings in the wilderness. And so we're going to really look at two passages today uh, in the Old Testament and then come back forward. So go with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 17. In Exodus chapter 17. Again, the children of Israel are working their way on their journey. Now, what's amazing is God has already provided for them bread from heaven. He's already provided for them the taking of the water that was bitter and making it sweet. And as we come now to chapter uh, 17, listen as I read verse 1 and 2 to begin with, of Exodus. All the congregation of the people of Israel... Moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord. You know, when I'm drawing our attention to this, they moved on. Why? According to the commandment of the Lord, they moved on where? According to the commandment of the Lord, God is the one who is leading them. Which means when they find themselves in any particular place, who has put them there? So if they complain, who are they complaining against? Somehow they often think that they can complain and that it's directed against Moses. And that it's directed against Aaron. And it's randomly directed to where they don't have water. And so they're blaming the lack of water on maybe the desert or... And they think somehow... It's not a complaint against God. And the only reason they think that is because they are not really taking into consideration The absolute sovereignty of God That He is the one who leads us on our, our way And we know that that is an absolute truth For every one of us who is in Christ He is our shepherd He leads us everywhere that we go For the children of Israel They had the very experiential expression of that They knew The cloud lifted, it's moving, we're moving. It stopped, we stopped. Here in chapter 17, it stops, and it says they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water. Brothers and sisters, I ask you, is this an oversight on God's behalf? Oh no, I forgot to... Book a room. I forgot to choose a place with adequate water. Oh no, what will I do now? No, no, no. We make those kinds of mistakes where where we lack foresight and we lack proper planning. Does this ever happen with God? So they find themselves in a waterless place by God's wise plan. And so what do they say? Yeah, I, I still always like to sit back before reading and say, they say, Thank you, God, who has brought us to this place. And we know that you also will supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. We wait upon you. Here we are, your humble servants. Supply what you deem necessary. Amen. Now, sadly, I'm going to go ahead and read the rest. Verse two, therefore, the people quarreled with Moses. Right. So this is an argument that has broken out. We when it says quarreled and you look at what's stated there. It seems like the most inadequate quarrel ever because it's only giving us what is the what is the basis of their demand. But there was a lot more going on. They were quarreling. Why did you lead us here? How did you bring us to this? What were you thinking? Why did you? And what would be Moses' answer? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't lead you guys here. Uh, we're all going together. The Lord is leading us. I, actually, when he, when he met me in the wilderness, and he told me to go, I said, uh, No, not me. Send somebody else. I'm not well equipped. I can't do this. I have tried to escape from leading you at every point that I could. But it is God who has done this. And so they look to Moses and they tell to him what? Give us water to drink. Now, you know, I guess anger, frustration, desire can all mount up into being unreasonable. And that's often the case. Sometimes I think if ever we were to have the privilege or the dishonor of watching a videotape of a quarrel that we've had with a spouse, a loved one, a parent, or so on, and we might sit back and scratch our heads and say, oh, wow, it's remarkable. How unreasonable she he, I was, right? <laughs> or we would, we would probably, hopefully, be able to see the mutual unreasonableness that's taking place there. But sometimes in the moment, our unreasonableness, the overflow of our wants, they trump rationality. Give us water. Now, where are they expecting Moses to get this water from? Uh, let me check my bag. What, where will he get this water from? There's absolutely no means. Remember, they're in like a wilderness desert. He can look around and what does he see? There's no water. Further, should we go north, south, east? Which, which direction will I find water first? Maybe he doesn't even know. And more than that, God is the one who stopped him there. Do you really go off another direction? Give us water. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Which is a good response. You're addressing the wrong person. I can't fix this. And I ask you this in the first place. Why are they quarreling with anybody? They're quarreling because why? They want water. They crave water. They are thirsty. Now I will say this. That hopefully, um, or that is likely a desire every single one of us can identify with. Thirst is, is, is a common experience and a common necessity. We would not call this an a craving after evil. Would you? I mean, water's not evil, per se. But even that which is not a craving after evil can still be an evil craving. What do I mean by that? What they're wanting is not wrong, but their want is so strong that what have they discarded and disregarded? God who has led them to that place. God's own purposes. And so what they want isn't bad, but the, that their wants well up to such a degree that instead of coming humbly to God with supplication, they come with quarreling. Now, I might ask you this Does it sound like they feel entitled to water? Yes, it does. God owes us water, you owe us water, someone has to give us water Really? I mean, does God owe anyone anything? Has anyone given to him a gift that he should be repaid? If God was to withdraw his spirit from everyone and all flesh alike perish Would he not still be righteous and just and holy? Yeah. See, but this is what begins to happen. We live in a world as human beings where we want, you know, and and song lyrics are filled with these kinds of things, urging people to follow their hearts, declaring the helplessness of, of humans because the heart wants what the heart wants, and it's like, Okay, yes, the heart wants what it wants. But are you going to let your life be led by your wants? Are your wants the Lord of your life? Do you feel entitled to demand all that you desire? Or have we been bought with a price? Have we been given a life? Do we belong to another? Is it possible that there is someone who is entitled to everything I am and everything I have and I'm entitled to nothing and yet that he would set forth his provision of mercy, of forgiveness, of eternal life, of an inheritance in heaven? That he would endow me with his glorious riches, though I am not entitled to those things. He's granted me in Christ things that I could never earn, never deserve, never wanted, that are better than all of the desires of this earth. And yet, I would quarrel with him. I would let my demands so swell that my want for this temporary pleasure, this temporary experience, this temporary peace is far more meaningful to me now than all of the promises that God has for me. What has gone astray? This is the warning that is being given, the warnings from from the wilderness here. They come and Moses says this, it's still in verse 2, why do you quarrel with me? And then he goes on, why do you test the Lord? Ooh, that is a very strong statement, isn't it? Because remember, we went back a, a, a couple chapters here, and God had made the water bitter and then made it sweet, and he had done this in order to test them. Why are they testing the Lord? Why would they challenge him? Do they think that he does not see what they do? Does not hear their grumbling? Does not recognize their lack of faith? Does not see their discontentment? Why do you test the Lord? Now note this. This is very important for us to grasp for a moment. Because as Moses says, that really indeed, under the inspiration of the Spirit, why do you test the Lord? I almost guarantee you, you could go one by one throughout the children of Israel and say, why are you testing the Lord? And they would say, i am not testing the lord i just want water and i want it now but i'm not testing the lord (laughs) that would probably be their testimony without fail i'm not testing the lord i'm not gonna i'm not challenging him i'm not threatening him but here's where i'm at i want this and so we uh, we have the ability to think in divided categories that ought not be divided. Well, I'm not, I'm not talking about spiritual things right now. I'm not talking about God, doctrine, character. I, I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm not talking about anything moral. I'm not talking about anything sinful. What I'm doing right now is, this is what I want. And I don't have it, and I really want it. And unless somebody gives it to me, I'm gonna be upset. It's just something, any discontentment, and this is something that we've got to remember, all discontentment is a despising of the Lord's provision. Who? Now, none of us, if I was a show of hands, who wants to despise what the Lord has provided in their lives today? I'm hoping there's no, no place in which I would get a hand raised, right? But how many are harboring some degree of discontentment? How many are looking at something in their life that's not how they want it? And they are grumbling. They are complaining. It's overflowing in their communication, their relationships, in their attitude. How many is that happening in? And you think, well, no, 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 my problem isn't with the Lord. My problem is with my parents. My problem is with my boss. My problem is with my neighbor. My problem is with, and and we, we, my problem is with Moses. No, we're not testing the Lord. We're not even saying the Lord has to give us water. Moses, you give us water. What? Why do you test the Lord? Verse three, but the people thirsted for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So here's, here's their desperation. They don't understand why this has happened, why what's going on is going on. All they know is what they want. Why would you test the Lord? You would hope that even that check for a moment would cause them to step back and say, you're right. God has miraculously delivered he has miraculously provided We have we've had water he brought us to the oasis of the twelve palms. He brought us uh, uh, food from heaven in the in the form of manna Surely the Lord can provide But it says but the people the verse three but the people thirsted for water what? What drove their life? What drove their thoughts? What drove their conversation? It was their desires. Even when called upon, hey, hold on. Don't test the Lord. Their desires still drove them to where they could not even check themselves. That's heartbreaking. Now, we're not them because we have the grace of god we have the deliverance that is christ this is a warning that we would not be like them they couldn't do otherwise because god had not given them a heart to see and eyes to hear god was leaving them to the longings of their heart to even again in a sense show us the desperate condition of man In his natural condition, man is a slave to his desires. He cannot and will not break free from his sin. They tested, they grumbled, and they complained. Look, and it spills over because in verse 4 it says this. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do for this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on, take some of the uh, elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck to the Nile and go. Verse 6, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. And you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it. And the people will drink. Now remember, by this point. The amount of water that would be needed, I cannot quantify it in terms of gallons and liters personally. Because you have all of the men, all of the women, all of the children, all of their livestock. That is a lot of water that would be needed. And what has he told them to do? Go up to a stone and strike it and I will cause water to come out. Now, that's a a strange thing to say. Now, I guess part of the problem is we've read this and we've grown up reading it. And so water coming from the rock just, of course, water comes from the rock because that's what God told Moses to do. But before that had happened, go tap the rock with a stick. And what? How's that going to help? And God is going to cause water to come out of the rock and it says he did so in the sight of the people and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the people, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord, listen, by saying Is the Lord among us or not? Did you see what just, just happened in that? In the midst of their quarreling Here here is their their argument. As all is going awry, we're at a place where there's no water. Things aren't what we want. They're not how we expect. I don't think the Lord is with us. I don't even know if the Lord is here with us or not. What? Uh, Have a look-see. Because right there, that never left them, is a pillar of smoke. Or a pillar of fire, whether it's day or night. Is the Lord with us or not? See, their determination isn't on the basis of a clear manifest presence of God. Isn't on the basis of the ongoing and consistent provision of God. Their issue is, I'm not getting right now what I want. So where is God? is he with us or is he not with us? They're going to make the determination on whether or not they deem God to be with them, not on the basis of this clear, visible manifestation, but on the basis of, is he giving me right now what I want? Oh my. Now listen, even in all that, all that happens at this point to the children of Israel is what? God gives them water, abundant water, fresh water, flowing water. And the only consequence in this particular occasion is he names the place, quarreling and testing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if if the worst that's going to happen to me is you're going to give this place a negative name, I'm good with that because I still got what I wanted. Now I would hope with the children of Israel that as they've struggled, maybe in their lack of experience, certainly in their lack of faith, with God's provision that He could meet their need in these moments of seeming emergency, what should they do next time they need food? What should they do next time they need water? Yeah, God's got this, so we have no additional questions. No additional needs, but that is not the case. I need you to jump over with me now to Numbers chapter 11. In Numbers chapter 11, it is is the, the section again referred to where they complained and fired, destroyed many of them. Numbers 11. And... It begins like this, and I find the phrasing interesting myself. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. Well, I want to ask you this Can we ever complain outside of the hearing of the Lord? Go into a secret room, a dark, whisper it to somebody? No. It, it's just, it's wanting them to know that. God is aware of these things, he sees these things, do you really think that you're keeping these things secret from him, that he's not seeing them? And they complained about their misfortunes. What are their misfortunes? God has given them sufficient water everywhere they've gone. God is, ca- is causing manna to fall so that they have adequate food that apparently is sufficiently sustaining their bodily health all that they need their clothes are not wearing out their sandals are not wearing out god is even causing that pillar of cloud it also serves as a cloud over them by day so that the sun does not beat Down on them if at night it lights up the path before them so that they can travel safely He's delivered them from enemies on the left and on the right He's enabled them to overcome even the the punishment that they they themselves would experience from the uh, fiery serpents God has shown himself Mighty he has shown them blessing and provision and care at every turn. They are not hungry They are not thirsty Yet they are not satisfied. Aren't you thankful that that's only the children of Israel? And no one today is like that. They complained about their misfortunes. And when you read through it, you think, what are their misfortunes? Well, and some people might say, well, their clothes are not wearing out. means they're still wearing the same clothes for a long time. They're not able to... Enjoy changing fashions and, uh, you know, they're eating the same food every day. So they're not able to enjoy all the different delicacies that are there. That's not called misfortunes, brothers and sisters. The the lack of luxuries is not a life of misfortune. Help us. I mean, because when you read through this, you think they're complaining about their misfortunes. But there were there were no misfortunes that were afforded to them and all of the problems they have faced to this point have been the direct consequences of their own acts and rebellion. And it says, when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed the outlying parts of the camp. And the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. And the place was named uh, Taberah, because of the fire of the Lord that burned among them. This is quite something. So, they complained about water, God gave them water. They complained about food, God gave them food. They keep complaining about this and complaining about that at every term, and at a certain point, maybe the children of god were presuming uh, the children of israel were presuming upon the mercies and kindness of god they would grumble and demand water he gave them water grumble and demand food he gave them food so they began to think you know what the best way to get what i want is to grumble you know you, you meet those kind of situations. The best way to get what, a, you don't ever do anything unless I nag you. So I'm going to have to just nag you all the time. That's the only thing. That's not the way that it ought to work. You, 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 you don't, you don't. And, and anyways, can anyone manipulate God? It's not, it's not going to work. And, and again, they were not grumbling of their misfortunes in order to get something. There's just a spirit of discontent. We want more. Now it's not enough that we just have have more than abundant, more than adequate food that was to some degree desirable. The scripture tells us that it tasted like, like cakes or wafers with honey and coriander. It was supposed to be something that in the early days, the manna, they liked it. Now as we reach here, this fire burned in the camp and as a result of their grumbling, so you get this sense. Uh, suddenly there is a fire burning around the camp and those who are on the outer portions of the camp are getting burned up. People are dying as a result of this. They cry out to the Lord and he causes the fire to die down. But why did the fire come up? They kindled his anger and God was making it known. And, And sometimes I think because God is so merciful, so patient, so forgiving, men think that they can presume upon it. The world that's living in its wickedness thinks there's not going to be any consequences for my sin. There are. And tragically, a multitude of present-day preachers want to only emphasize the times that God is merciful and forgiving and compassionate. They don't want to talk about the time that fire broke up and burned up the outskirts of the camp and all who were there. They don't want to talk about all those who were killed by the fiery snakes that came and bit them. I don't want to talk about uh, the acts of God's judgment and clear consequences against the wicked. And so it's important, though we see such mercy and such patience, don't presume there are no consequences don't presume that there is no uh, there is no response of God to sin, so they've done this the fire dies down as they cry out, they recognize they did wrong Moses cries out, but verse four, look what it says now the rabble some translations say mixed multitude here, but it's a different word here. this speaks more of those who uh, had bad bad character among them those those who um The rabble among them had a strong craving. So there's a a group among them who are even more given to their desires. And here's the sad thing about cravings and complaining. These things are horribly contagious. Worldliness is contagious. Greed is contagious. Materialism is contagious. Contagious. Complaining, discontentment, dissatisfaction, that is super easy to pass on, you know? What's what's astounding is you can count your blessings, you can speak your praises praises to God, and those things you've got to work hard to encourage one another with with the kindness and the mercies and the provisions of God and even as you count the blessings of God and recount those things as you meditate on those things there's a, there's a strengthening that seems to slowly grow in your heart but boy just a moment's look at something else and frustration and craving and discontentment it's just like it's like why does the one take so much work to kind of to, to cultivate and nourish and the other is just like putting a match to the coals that have been absolutely covered with lighter fluid. Why? And it goes on to say this: Oh, that we had meat to eat. It's uh, the, the rabble had a craving, and the people of Israel also wept again. All right. So these people had a small craving. They make their craving known, and soon everybody is like, oh, no. And to me, this is shocking, because what it says is this. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. See, and that's not a longing for me personally. So just hearing that would have made me cry. No, I'm just... No, no but they wept for it, because now they're thinking of the variety of the menu that they used to have. And we used to have all these things, and... Even when they're, they're thinking about it, you can see it, and, and how readily available, easily accessible it was. It cost us nothing. Then they go on, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. And what happens when you do that? Everybody starts salivating. You start thinking about those things. It's like, oh my. Uh, or maybe there's different phrases or different words that could be said, but that began to Oh, yeah, I would like that. I wish we could have that again. Oh, there's none of that here. What will we do? Instead of what ought they be saying? How many of us are hungry? How many of us are thirsty? How many of us are lacking in any way? It should be a season of continuous praise and rejoicing. And instead, what are they doing? They're not even saying... God, would you please expand the menu? What are they doing? They're weeping. They're gathering at their tents, outside, at the doors of their tents, and crying. It's like toddlers. I want this, I want this, I want cookies for dinner. What? You're not getting cookies for dinner. And then they go on to say, our strength is dried up. Has it dried up? No, they have sufficient physical strength, but they're just dissatisfied. And it says, and there is nothing to look at at all, but this manna to look at. And it goes on, it talks a little bit about the manna. Verse 10 says, Moses heard the people weeping throughout the clans and every door, uh, everyone at the door of his tent. Listen to that, everyone at the door of his tent. It just caught on. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly and Moses was displeased and Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? So here's the beauty of it. So now what does Moses do? God, this is your fault. I mean, I'm being mistreated. I'm being grumbled against. The people are all treating me this way. Why have you dealt so badly with me? How bad did God deal with him? God preserved him when... uh, Someone would have wanted to kill him in childbirth, gave him the privilege of being raised in very comfortable circumstances. Even when he ended up taking off and and leaving Egypt, God brought him to an excellent family, gave him a wife and a child, then called him, appointed him, gifted him, enabled him, delivered, gave him the words to say, there is no point at which God has done any ill. To Moses and yet in the moment of frustration Moses is God why have you done this to me why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them? Now, he's not asking God that in genuineness. This is now, you can see the overflow of his frustration. I should not be responsible for these people. They're not my kids. That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom and nurse them like a child. Has God told Moses to carry them in his bosom and nurse them like a child? Has has that happened? And he says in verse 13, where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me saying, give us meat that we may eat. Verse 14, I am not able to carry all this people alone. This burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. Verse 16 tells us this. And the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel whom you know to be the elders. Right. So already he's, he's making a statement, whom you know to be the elders, it means you, you actually haven't been carrying them all along. The community is divided. There are elders among the community. Remember it was the elders that you took with you when you struck the rock? There's no point at which you've been alone because one, Aaron has been with you. I sent him with you from the beginning based on your complaints. These elders have also been serving in some capacity, and remember his father-in-law Jethro even encouraging him to use them as some help for the day-to-day activities. And more than that, is God not with him? But you've given me to do this alone. So he's forgotten God's, God's presence. He's forgotten God's provision of Aaron, God's provision of all of these elders, and all of a sudden it's, why have you done this to me? And then God gives a, a portion of the gift to them. And then he tells them also to con, uh, of, the, of the spirit to them. And they will additionally be even strengthened to bear more with him. And he said again the, in the hearing of the Lord. they Saying who will give us. I'm in, down in verse 18. Who will give us meat to eat. For it is better for us to go back, back to Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat. And you shall eat. You shall not just eat one day. See, in Moses' mind, what? There is no way to get enough meat for all these people. And God is telling him, no, they will not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. So... God's abundant provision of the manna had become loathsome to them. and God was going to now provide them an extraordinary measure of their craving. So much so that that would become loathsome to them. And of course Moses looks at that and says, uh, yeah. Verse 21. Um, the people among you whom I... I the people among whom I am number 600,000 on foot, and you have said I will give them meat, that they will eat for a whole month? Shall the flocks and herds uh, be slaughtered for all of them? It would not be enough. Or if the fish of the sea were to all be gathered together for them, it would not be enough. What is Moses saying here in this Moses in the in this moment of, of selfish self-centered frustration Has actually begun to what? Doubt the capability of God <laughs> But what he's saying he's gonna do Can't be done Well, you got to finish that sentence can't be done by Anyone but him. And the Lord answers him and says this. Verse 23. Is the Lord's hand short? Now you shall see. Whether my word will come true or not. So Moses was going to have to learn. The people were going to have to learn. They were going to have to understand. As it says in verse 20. You have rejected the Lord who is among you. And wept before him. They would say their complaint is about food, but God says, you have rejected me. All discontentment, all dissatisfaction, all disobedience, it is all a rejection and despising of God. Even though we don't like to see it that way. And of course, you can see down in verse uh, uh, 31, the Lord caused a wind to spring up and he brought quail. And the way that it's described there sometimes defies us because we're not too familiar with cubits and day's journeys. So let me just translate this briefly for you. What you had basically, God brought enough quail surrounding the camp. It was a day's journey on one side and a day's journey on the other. A day's journey historically in the Jewish economy, a day's journey is 20 to 25 miles Okay, so you stand at the edge of the camp all around and you look out 20 plus miles and there are three feet of quail. Oh my, that's a nightmare. I mean, <laughs> because I mean, at that point it's like, how can you even gather up enough? How will you be able to gather up enough of them before they even begin to rot on the outskirts of that? And the thought of the stench that would arise once the rot begins to come. And, uh, you know, my mind just goes off to that. But what's amazing is after God did all this, it tells us this in verse 32. And the people rose up all day and all night and all the next day and they gathered quail. In verse 33, and while the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a great plague, and they were buried there because of their craving. See, what happened? God provided, and and what's astounding here is it looks like they just, even in the midst of God's provision, got greedy, gathered it up took it in, cooked it up, ate it, and you know who's not been given a second thought in all of this? God. Where's the falling on their knees? Where's the giving thanks to the Lord? Where's the offering of sacrifices? Where's the committing of praise? Where's any of that? It's this is what we've been waiting for, this is what we've wanted, get it, take it, eat it. And it says the, angle of the Lord, anger of the Lord kindled against them. Just by way of, of a simple summary, of some thoughts here. On grumbling. Grumbling ultimately is. It really comes down to this. It, it in, because God is the one who leads us wherever he leads us. God is the one who provides and controls all circumstances. Such grumbling. Such discontentment. Uh, such dissatisfaction. Such giving in to worldly cravings. Really there's five thoughts that I want to share in closing. One is, it's a disregard for God's paths. He's led us, and we don't like where he's led us. We can't have a disregard for God's paths. Because why? We're his. Where he leads, we need to follow. Where he would have us be, where he would have us serve, if it's in the prison, then it's in the prison. You know, if it's in a palace, it's in a palace. You know, if it's in places of hardship and and persecution and difficulty, then it's there. If it's in places of ease and comfort, then it's there. But we cannot and ought not have a disregard for God's paths. Secondly, we should not have a despise. Grumbling and complaining is a despising of God's providence. Or I might say a despising of God's dealings. He's given us this instead of that. But I wanted that. Do we re- are we really going to despise God's dealings with us thirdly, it's a dissatisfaction for God's provision or God's giving Fourthly It's a disdaining of God's presence. Is the Lord really here with us? They had said in Exodus 17 And I guess lastly fifthly It's a devaluation of God's purpose so five simple closing thoughts. When we, are, when we grumble, when we complain, when we let cravings captivate our hearts and, and, and remove our, our contentment in Christ, it is effectively a disregard for God's paths, a despising of God's providence, a dissatisfaction of God's provision, a disdaining of God's presence, and a devaluation of God's purpose. And brothers and sisters, that's not what we're about. And so what, when we're in need, what should we do? Fall on our knees and call out to our God who knows our needs better than we, are, we do. When we, when we have wants, what should we do? Remind ourselves, man does not live by bread alone. Man does not live by meat alone. Man does not live by any of the worldly things alone. My food is do the work of him who served me. Man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The things of God, the plan of God, the path of God, the provision of God, His providence and His purposes will prevail. The question is, is, as they surely prevail, do I meet them with praise? Praise on my lips or with discontent and grumbling. May God teach us not to crave as they did. That we might not also see some of the consequences as they did. We'll take this up again next week as we look at part four of this section out of 1 Corinthians 10. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we are so thankful to be able to spend time in your word. I just wish that even as I go through this, that it would, was easier to simply see and acknowledge the failings and, and shortcomings of the Israelites. And not see just the same tendencies so often repeated in my own heart and life. And I'm sure all who are uh, listening to your word. Lord, we are in the world, but we, do, we are not of the world. Lord, we know that by your grace and spirit, you're able to set us free from those same desires that the world seeks after. By your spirit and through the influence of your word, you're able to help us set our mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, to store our treasures in heaven, to understand and recognize if we have food and drink, we will be content with these things. And that Lord, we would not be greedy greedy and swindlers. We will not be driven by the passions and desires of the flesh. All the, the, the delights that this world has to offer, uh, There's a time and a place and a season in which we can receive them with joy and thanksgiving. Let our hearts not give in to craving. Let us not be given over to corruption and compromise. God, let us not be prone to complaining. Fix our eyes, our hearts, fully upon you. Because you are our everything. And you are with us. And never forsake us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.